There were some great philosophers from a couple of decades ago who asked the penetrating question, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> if you know those philosophers, they were the Spice Girls who probably should be renamed the Spice Middle-Aged Women uh, at this point. But really that question they ask is really, really helpful. Um, and so it's a question for us to ask ourselves because we could say we want a lot of things. And we can kind of believe that we want certain things and we can sing about wanting certain things. But the question to really ask ourselves is what do we really, really want? What is it that's central to our core? Because I think if we can answer that question, that'll lead us to understand why we get so frustrated about things. You know, why we're so distracted or why this or that's going is because usually these desires that we have aren't being met. And so we need to examine that. And I think it's an important question for every believer to ask themselves continually. And I think David is going to answer the question of what he wants here in this um, psalm. And I think if we follow David's lead, if we want what David wants, then I think we're going to find ourselves in a position, a situation to find our fulfillment fully in the Lord. So with this in mind, let me go ahead and read through Psalm 27, and then we will study through it. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. David writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon, also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not forsake me. I'm sorry, do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, as we get into this, let's go ahead and jump into verse 1, but just one little kind of insight. I did study Psalm 27 and Psalm 28 and Psalm 29 for this week. But as I got into it, I got no further than Psalm 27. So I put in a good faith effort, but this is how it turned out. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So these are rhetorical questions he's asking. And of course, the assumed answer is no one. Of whom shall I fear? No one. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one. And so that, that's what David is saying. So David is saying the perspective, once I set my, my focus on the Lord, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into verse 3, then I shouldn't be afraid. As we have to beware because we feed, our, we feed ourselves things that cause us to fear. We constantly do this. It's like we have a, 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 a consuming diet of fear. What new bad thing can I look up and worry about to make me fear? And we can't, with so much of the things that we focus on, we can't do anything about. You and I can't do anything about what's going on in the Ukraine. You and I can't do anything about these things. We can pray and God can do something about it, right? But it's not for us to fix, to settle. So we have to be careful about focusing on things other than the Lord because those other things are going to make us fear. Why do they make us fear? Because Paul tells us that the whole, well, sorry, John tells us that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. The Paul tells us that, that the Satan is the God of this age, 
the prince of the power of the air. So it makes sense he's going to want to discourage and cause believers to be fearful. So David is focusing on the Lord in the midst of all the craziness that he deals with so he won't be afraid. Now notice he calls the Lord his light. The Lord is my light. In other words, the Lord is the one who reveals truth to me. You know, the reason why we can see things outside is because of the sun. See, we're not supposed to look directly at the sun, right? And oftentimes we can't even see where the sun is in the sky, but because the sun is there, it can reveal. Oftentimes we can't see God directly in a situation, but he reveals things to us. He shows us what's what. And so it's important for us to be looking for his light. Now, also, you know, we want to go toward the light. If you kind of think about this world as a darkened forest, it says, well, where's the light? I want to go toward the light. I want to go toward the Lord. Now, continuing on there, and, or, or actually related to this idea of God being our light, John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So there's a wonderful promise for believers that anyone who's a believer, anyone who chooses to follow after Jesus doesn't have to walk in darkness. So for you and I as believers, if we find ourselves walking in darkness, then what's happening is somehow along the way we've stopped following Jesus. We're not focusing on him. Now, don't, don't misinterpret me. I'm not saying we've lost our salvation. No, we've just, we've lost that, that discipleship. We're not following after him. And so what's the key to following after again? Well, open up your Bible, see what Jesus says, and then just do it. That, that's, that's all there is to it. Now, it's you know, easier said than done because he's, as we follow him, oftentimes he asks us to do things that we don't want to do. He says things like, love your enemies. Forgive those who trespass against you. Let go of all malice and bitterness and hardness of heart. I just don't want to do that. And Jesus says, do you want to walk in darkness or do you want to walk in light? If we want to walk in light, then we want to follow after him. It continues in verse 1. He says that God's his light, but also he's my salvation. Salvation there, again, we've talked about this quite a bit in the Psalms. It doesn't always mean salvation from hell. It, it, it just means deliverance. Now, it can be deliverance from hell and deliverance from sin, but it can also mean deliverance from a difficult situation, from, from darkness, from hardship. So he's really saying God is my salvation. In other words, God's my deliverer. God's my rescuer. You know, I, I can't watch anything about like the Coast Guard rescuing somebody without getting all teared up about it. Because I, I see that's the heart of the Lord. The Lord's a rescuer. The Lord's a deliverer. There's a, the Lord's the one who goes in and seeks after people who are lost. And so in whatever situation that we're in, we need to call God. We need to call the Lord. Hey, rescue me. Deliver me. Help me in the midst of this situation. Now, we have to remind ourselves, too, by God being our salvation, but God being our rescuer, God being our deliverer, he's our only rescuer. He's our only deliverer. Education is not the answer, though education is good. Healthcare is the answer, even though, is not the answer, even though healthcare is good. So there's a lot of things in this world that are good, but they're not our deliverers. They're not our rescuers. The Lord is. And then he continues on. He says, the Lord is the strength of my life. That strength in my life, the Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my defender. The Lord is my sustainer. And if you continue walking with the Lord, you continue growing the Lord, you're going to see this more and more. The Lord will systematically begin to remove from you everything that you hoped in. Because what it's going to show is all those are false hopes, right? I'm hoping in this and I'm hoping in that thing and I'm hoping in the other thing. And the Lord was like, just systematically take those away so you can see truth because those things were never true helps. Those things were never true strengths in your life. Verse two, David says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. So, you know, David had these different situations that he was encountering, these difficulties, these hardships, and the Lord continued to deliver him. It's interesting if you know the story, David died in his old age. David was pretty old. And you think about the number of battles that David was a part of. The fact that he would make it to old age tells us that the Lord's hand was upon him. The Lord was gracious to him. And so the Lord delivered David from his enemies over and over and over again. And so I want to have you turn somewhere. I'm going to have you turn a few places. David, would you turn to 2 Corinthians for just a moment? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. 
to look about this. And, and this is, a, you know, as we look at David, there may be kind of a disconnection for us. Because we're like, well, David's a king and David was a warrior and David was literally fighting against people and swords were flying and all kinds of things were happening. And we think about, well, that doesn't really relate to my life. No, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. We'll kind of, we'll turn to Ephesians a little bit later. But we want to remind ourselves that if you are a believer, you're in a battle and you're going to need the Lord to deliver you from your enemies. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll look at verses 8 through 10 for just a moment. I think this is a really helpful section for us because sometimes we can gloss over Paul's life. And we'll think, well, Paul was just walking on sunshine and man, he's just re- receiving revelations and just doing this thing and this thing. And he was always accomplishing things. And just, it was awesome to be Paul. I want a ministry like Paul. Let me just say, you don't want a ministry like Paul. You don't. I don't. And so this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, talking about difficulty and God being the deliverer. Verses 8 through 10, he says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, Of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. Think about that just for a minute. We're burdened beyond measure. He's saying the burden, the difficulty, the hardship upon us, it's immeasurable. I can't tell you how heavy it was because there's not a measurement for it. And then he says, burden beyond measure, above strength. In other words, above the ability that we had to, um, to hold on to or to lift up so that we despaired even of life. So that, that is really vivid language that, that Paul had gotten to the point of like, I, I wish I were dead. Like my life is just so, and you know, that's not an uncommon thing for people who've served the Lord. Moses famously said, Lord, if you love me, kill me <laughs> in the midst of his hardship, right? Elijah just said, I wish I were dead. Job, Lord, I wish I'd never been born, right? You're going to encounter difficulties and hardships where you feel like that. He despaired even of life. Notice verse nine. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so he's like, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We just thought everything was going to go bad. But is it what happened? I can't trust in me. Paul said, I'm not my own deliverer. I'm not my own salvation. I'm not the strength of my life. And then verse 10, and he says, God who raises the dead, who delivered us, from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. I love this. He's delivered us in the past. He's delivering us right now and he's delivering us in the future. And so, you know, it seems like Amazon is always delivering (laughs) no matter what, but the Lord had beat them to that. The Lord is always delivering past deliverance. Think about your past deliverances. Think about how God's delivering you now and then realize God will deliver you in the future. This is the encouragement that we have here. All right, back to Psalm 27, if you would. We'll continue on now to verse three. David writes, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And so that word confident there, it really means trust. And this I will, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust the Lord. And and so as we look at this, as we kind of think about verse three, we have this, this battle always between faith and fear. And faith and fear, it's a battle. And I believe that the war is won, or not say the war, the battles are won, because we're going to have that constant battle of faith and fear is by focus. Whether we're going to have faith or whether we're going to fear is a determination of our focus. If, if we're focused, like I said earlier, on all the bad news of this world, then we're going to fear. There's no one in here, no one on planet Earth can just kind of dredge through all the mess of this world and say, yeah, I feel good about things. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Because anyone who's, who's confident about that, you just dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the depravity of this world. Or you see behind the veil and you see the spiritual forces marshaled against you, you're going to be afraid. And so then the focus needs to be on the Lord. When the focus is on the Lord, now faith comes in. And so I was kind of working through this with some of my students as we're going through Deuteronomy. And it, it, I was, you know, kind of teaching the Bible, you know, several times a week, like the Lord's privileged me to do, then it's like a lab all the time, right? Thinking through things and kind of working things out. And I've come to believe that whenever you have faith, it's not that fear isn't there. It's that faith is the driver, so if you kind of think about your life as a car, what's, who's going to drive the car? Is faith going to drive the car or is fear going to drive the car? 
So if, if you allow fear to drive, then what you're saying is, I'm going to put, I still have faith, but it's subjugated. It's, it's in the passenger seat. But if you say, no, I'm going to focus on the Lord, then faith becomes a driver. Fear's still there, and fear may be a backseat driver, but you just got to tell your fear, shut it. <laughs> just stay back there and be quiet because we're doing this thing. And so allow faith to be the driver, but faith can only be the driver if you focus on the Lord. If your focus is on the Lord, faith drives, put fear in the back seat. And so that's what we want to do. And that's what David was able to do because David is often afraid. And if you serve the Lord, you are going to be afraid. You are going to be challenged. If you are never afraid in this world, then I would say, I don't know how closely you're following the Lord. Because the Lord takes you to scary places. The Lord takes you, spiritually speaking, to some bad neighborhoods. He puts you in situations where, like, I can't do it. And the Lord said, I was waiting for that. I'm the one to do it through you. Moving on to verse 4. And here it is. We have the key verse. This is what David really, really wants. And I believe that this is, this is our verse. This is a verse that we pray through, that we habituate in our life. This, this is something that says, Lord, give me the desire for this. And things will change. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Okay, so he begins with, he says, one thing. In other words, a single-minded focus. One thing. Now, I was talking with a buddy of mine, uh, you know, that I share an office with, and we we're talking about things. I was talking about kind of how the Lord's working in my life and, and about how it feels like in my life the Lord's, and I shared this from the pulpit before, he's on taking things and wants, and he just said, the Lord wants 100% of your life. <laughs> he wants 100% of your heart. And so it's kind of like that little 100 emoji, you know, that's what the Lord says. That's, that's what I want. Well, how about 75? It's like just 100. That's what he wants. And this is that single-minded focus. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And that word before doesn't mean like, well, okay, here's God, you know, Yahweh. And then let's go ahead and add Baal in there and then Molech and then Shemosh and all the rest. No, 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 no. Before means in my presence. Well, you know, where's God's presence? Well, he's omnipresent. So having no other gods before me, he says, there's no other gods. I don't want you to have any other gods because I'm everywhere present. So I want your focus to be on me and me alone. This is not because God's a megalomaniac. This is not because God just like, you know, has low self-esteem and really needs to be pumped up by our praises. No, what God is saying is I need you to have no other gods before me because this is how you were built. This is what you were built for. This is life. This is joy and peace and all of those things are found only in me. And so what happens is he wants to continue to, to just to carve us, to shape us, to sand away those things because he says all those other things that you're focusing on aren't going to be the best for you. But if you turn to me, then what's going to happen is you're going to be who I made you to be. For more on this subject, would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter three, we'll see what Paul has to say about this and kind of this whole idea about focusing on the Lord and the one thing. Philippians is a great New Testament book to read, to think about these issues. Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter three. We'll look at verses 12 through 14. And Paul says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. So Paul's like, said, I haven't made it yet. He says, I keep on going. I get press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, I, I love that. I love that image because sometimes we can kind of get into this idea that, well, I'm really, I've got to achieve what God wants for me and I've got to get it done. And God has set this goal and it's up to me. And no, but Paul says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. In other words, I want to achieve to get to that place that God's already set it up that he wants me to get to, that he's going to empower me to get to, that he's going to lead me to. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but here it is, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And so forgetting those things which are behind, I would argue that those are your past accomplishments, right? All the things that you've done for him, but also your forgiven sins. 
Just all of that. Just let it go. Just press on. And he says, letting go of those things which are behind and reaching forward. Okay? So, so this is active. This is going for it. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's where he's going. So, so he wants to know the Lord. He wants to be there with him. And, and so the imagery is of a runner that is running toward the finish line and then is leaning at the end, is going for it. Now, you know, we've all seen runners that have kind of started looking around or maybe showboating and that kind of stuff. And, and there was a, a funny one, a kid from Oregon a few years back that was way ahead in this race and he started pumping up the crowd you know, as it, and then other people passed him. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was pretty funny. Um, and it's a good life lesson for us. But it's just focusing on the Lord. And, and so when we do that, then what's going to happen is it's going to transform us. It's going to change us. The things of the world grow, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 27 now. As we continue on there in verse 4. few things I want to take note of here. He says, I have desired. I have desired. That word desired means I've asked or I've inquired or I've begged. So, so this is not a passive thing. This is not of kind of like, well, maybe I might want this. No, he's begging for the Lord. I've desired this. And he says, and I've desired um, and I will seek. That will I seek. And that, that will I seek actually has the idea of I will keep seeking. It's a continual thing. It's a continual desire. And then what is it that he's begging for? What is it that he's seeking? Notice that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This word dwell means live. He wants to live with the Lord. Now the house of the Lord is the tabernacle. Now we know David's not a priest, right? So he can't literally live in that tabernacle. He can't literally live in that place. But the idea is he wants to be with the Lord, that wherever the Lord is, that's where he wants to be. And so for how many days does he say one day a week? No, he says all the days of my life, every day. And so this is a beautiful thing, this, this reality that God wants to plant in us a heart that desires him, that seeks him, that wants him every single moment of every day. Now, what can happen to us in our fleshly nature, we can view that as loss. Oh, man. If I'm seeking the Lord, then all these other things I don't get to and all these hobbies or whatever it is. But we miss the point that whatever it is that we're seeking in that hobby is actually found in him. Now, here's the cool thing. If a hobby is something that the Lord's good with, you can actually, through that hobby, see the Lord and find the Lord in that and find enjoyment and fulfillment as he is with you in that thing. But so often what we do as fallen human beings is we actually seek after things that are contrary to him, thinking that that's where fulfillment is found. That's where joy is found. That's where perspective is found. That's where hope is found. And that's, that's not it. And so the, the idea here is that for us, if it's our one thing to spend every day with the Lord, well, guess what? As believers, one day we're going to get that. And heaven and eternity is each day with the Lord. So, so here's, a, here's a, a kind of a mindset. And again, everything good I ever share with you, I've borrowed or stolen. All right. I, it's, it's, I've gotten it from somewhere else. But... If we're going to spend eternity with the Lord there in heaven, why not prepare for that now? Why not start practicing that now? Why not put yourself in a situation that when you get to heaven, it's not like, oh man, I wasn't prepared for this, but it was like, yes, this is the fulfillment that I was seeking to live. This is the fulfillment of the life that I was going for. I love how Paul put it. I'll read it for you. Philippians chapter one, verses 21 through 23. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I, uh, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And then he says to them, hey, it's more needful for you guys that I remain in the flesh. And that, what he means by that is, Guys, between you and me, I just want to go straight to heaven. But the Lord has me here to bear fruit, 
and to minister to people. So I'm willing to stay here as long as the Lord wants me to be here. I'm willing to do his job. But you know what? Guess what, guys? I, I really want to go to heaven. <laughs> That's my hope. That's my hope. And I wonder for us as believers, and, and not just people who come to first service, but you know, believers, professing Christians, how many really want to go to heaven? Because they, they don't act like it. It's like, I could do everything possible to hold on to this life. Instead of saying, you know what? I want to live each day in the fullness of what God has for me. And when he taps me on the shoulder and says, it's time to go, I'll be ready. Spiritually speaking, my bags have been packed for years and I am waiting. My heavenly passport is always in my pockets. I'm ready to go. Continuing on there. In verse four, I want you to notice the words to behold. He says, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That word to behold means to see, to perceive, to gaze upon. And then that word beauty and the beauty of the Lord means delightfulness, the pleasantness of the Lord. And so he said, David says, I just want to see you. I want to be where you are. I want to see your glory. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, there's some people that are really rich and they collect cars, you know, and they have these garages full of cars and they have all kinds of different cars. And why do they have so many cars? Because those cars never satisfy. Because there's always, no matter how cool the cars are, no matter where it's from, the history behind it, they always need to get another one, another one, another one, because nothing on this earth will satisfy. Nothing on this earth will fulfill you. And so the only way for us to be fulfilled completely and fully and finally is to be with the Lord. In fact, the Lord Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, as dedicated as he was to his ministry on earth and he fulfilled it perfectly, he was constantly saying, I want to go back home. (laughs) I want to go back to be with my father. I'm looking forward to that. And that's the heart. So the heart of verse four is not, I want to see the Lord so that I can do my own thing. It's I want to see the Lord because he is the focus of my life. And ultimately this sets my, my course to go back to be with him, to see him and experience him forever. I love also this. He said the last part of verse four, he says, and to inquire in his temple. That word inquire, it means to seek or consider. To seek or consider. So it's not inquiring like uh, some people, which I think this is really foolish, and I know I've said it in the past. Some people are like, well, when I get to heaven, I've, I've got a few questions to ask God. Yeah, I'm just going to, really? I don't think that's how it's going to work. And, and so this inquiring here is not to simply ask God questions. Really, it's, it's to consider God himself to seek God himself, to gain a proper perspective in God's presence. So he, David wants to be in God's presence so he might see things rightly. When we see God correctly, then that enables us to see everything else correctly. That's the key. Now, so I, I love kind of the context of Psalm 73. Uh, psalm 73, it's a very helpful psalm, especially if you find yourself to be a person like myself who kind of just gets down about things. Psalm 73, Asaph is bummed out because the wicked are prospering. It seems like they get away with it. It seems like everything's going well with them. And then it's not till he goes into the temple of the Lord that he gets perspective. He goes to the God's tabernacle and he realizes, and so I want to read you these verses from Asaph, Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. In other words, when I thought about all the kind of ramifications of the evil prospering and how he thought about like basically um, telling everybody about that and talking bad to, about God. And then he says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So once he got in front of the Lord, what happens? He gained perspective. He realized, oh, God's allowing them to prosper for a little while because this is as close to heaven as they're going to get. This is, this is as much enjoyment they're going to get. And they're living life on their own. But what's happened for the believer is they're going to have the fullness of joy. And as Paul says, that the light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are not going to be worthy to be compared with that eternal weight of glory. So, so that's important for us to understand. So the lesson here is that we must, as we think about verse four, is that we must cultivate a desire for the Lord. It has to be cultivated. You see, we are not going to naturally just wake up and say, I really want to throw away my sin and love the Lord. What's going to happen is we're going to have to cultivate this. We must have a taste for the Lord if we're to seek him. 
Now, part of that's through prayer, right? We pray and we say, Lord, hey, you know, help me to have different desires. Help me desire you. But part of that is by getting to know him, right? The more that we just get to know him, and I kind of want to use an illustration here. Imagine there's a person, hopefully this is not you, who eats only hot Cheetos. It's all they eat is hot Cheetos. If you've never tried hot Cheetos, buyer beware, okay? He only eats hot Cheetos. What happens is he never desires anything else because he has so damaged his taste buds, he doesn't have a taste for anything else. And sometimes we as fallen, fallen people, we eat so much of the hot Cheetos of this world that we just don't have a taste for the Lord. We don't, we don't desire him. So what happens is those, those spiritual taste buds, if you would, they need healing. We need to, the ability to desire other flavors. And so if you're in a situation and you say, well, I don't really desire the Lord right now, then you know what? Just kind of by force of will, just get into the word. You know, just, just choose it. Just, just actively choose it and say, Lord, I don't have a desire for you. I want to have a desire for you, but I don't. Would, would you help me? And you get into the word, God will soften your heart. God will start working on it. I love Isaiah 55, verse six, says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. The Lord's willing to be called upon and the Lord's willing to be found. And this is a promise that God gives in Jeremiah 29, 13. It's, it's a promise given to the captives who are gonna be captives in Babylon. So if he gave it to them, I'm sure we can apply it to ourselves as well as believers in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Just start searching. Just start seeking the Lord and the Lord will reveal himself to you. All right, let's continue on. Psalm 27, verse five. He says, for in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion and the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And so here's David's confidence in God's protection, right? Now notice David wasn't saying, oh, I'm a believer in the true and living God, therefore I won't have trouble. I'm a believer in the true and living God, therefore everything's gonna be nice for me. He didn't say that. He says, I'm gonna have trouble, but what's gonna happen is, is God is going to give me protection in his way and according to his timing. So he was trusting in the Lord, but it's also, we're reminded, like Paul said in the book of Acts, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's how it goes. Verse six says, and now my head shall be lifted up above the, my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So I love this, verse six, that, that my head shall be lifted up uh, this, this idea is lifted up in honor, okay? Uh, and so that he's trusting that God is going to lift him up. And this is what Jesus says, right? Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, in other words, if you, you know, go into your garage and you make yourself a nice little pedestal of your own making and get up on there, Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to knock you down. I'm gonna have to knock you down. Uh, and so um, now, if we say, well, I'm not gonna give myself a pedestal, I'm gonna humble myself and serve, then Jesus says, guess what? I'm gonna lift you up. So if we exalt ourselves, Jesus says we'll be humbled, but if we humble ourselves, then he'll exalt us. And so that's the, the promise that we have in scripture, that God will lift us up. And then now this word joy here, when it says, I will offer sacrifices of joy, it really speaks of joyous shouts. Uh, is it singing to the Lord? And so this is a reminder as we look at verse six, please hear me, worship is a choice. Worship is a choice. If we're waiting to feel like worshiping, oftentimes we won't. Because there's any number of things that can interfere with that. We maybe not be feeling good physically. We might not have got a good night's sleep. We might, you know, this, the weight of the world may be upon us, but there's a choice to worship. And we know that worship is a choice because Paul and his buds, when they're, the, they're in, in Philippi, imprisoned, beaten, worship the Lord. And so we can choose to worship through song even when we don't feel like it. And we live in such an age that you have a world of worship songs at your fingertips. <laughs> it's very, very easy to find access. And then again, it's habituation. Train yourself. 
Train yourself to worship the Lord. Train yourself to listen to those songs. And, and I, you know, obviously I don't, I'm saying model your life after me, but I like to listen to the songs even that, that speak truth and I don't want to hear it because I'm not in a good place. I just make myself listen to it. <laughs> just make myself listen to it and be like, that's true. Even though I don't feel like it right now, it's true. Verse seven says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. That word cry there, it speaks of continually crying out. Okay, in other words, Lord, I continually cry out. Please understand that when you become a believer, or I'm sorry, as believers, as we grow in the Lord, it's not like we're to become more independent from the Lord. It's not like, well, I'm a mature believer now, so I shouldn't cry out to him quite as much. I shouldn't depend on him just as much. It's actually the opposite. The, the reality is, as we grow as believers, God says, I want you to depend upon me more. I want you to trust in me more. I want you to call out to me more. I want you to ask and seek and knock more. I want you to draw closer to me, not setting out there on your own, independent of me. And so David here in verse seven, he wants to be heard by the Lord. David wants the Lord to respond. I love this. He says, Lord, listen when I cry out to you. In other words, when David cries out, he expected God to hear. He expected God to respond. He expected God to, to listen to him. Verse eight, he says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Beautiful, I love this. The Lord saying to us, hey, seek my face. And David saying, yes, I will seek your face. What's so cool about this is another reminder as we have them all through the scriptures, God is the initiator and we're the responders. Please always remember that. God is the initiator and we are the responders. It wasn't like y'all were sitting in class, you and God, and you wrote him a note, would you be friends with me? <laughs> no, God wrote you the notes. God is the one who initiated and we merely respond. But here's the deal, God's continually initiating and so he's asking us to continually respond. And so also I want, it's, I want to point out here in verse eight, this seeking is seeking God himself, not what we can get from him. When you think about a dartboard, okay, you think about your kind of your life as a dartboard and all the things that you might want, the bullseye should be seeking God, seeking God himself, not what we can get from him. Sometimes we, we fall short. We're kind of like, well, well I, I, I want... I want peace, or I want comfort, or I want joy, or I want all those things. And all those things are good things. They're kind of the concentric rings there on the dartboard, but they're not the center. That's not what we should be seeking. We should be seeking God. And what happens as we seek God, as his spirit moves in us, guess what? Peace comes, and joy comes, and all those things come, but they come because we have a relationship with the giver himself. We're not merely seeking him for the gifts. And so... There's a verse that's been on my heart lately. The Lord's reminded me of it. And I was listening to an audio book this morning and the author used this verse and I was like, okay, we're gonna put it in the message. It's John 17, three. John 17, three, it's a night before Jesus's crucifixion. He's gonna be arrested in just a little bit and he's praying to the father. And this is what he says. It's an incredibly important verse. Jesus says this to his father. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. What is eternal life? What is life everlasting? What is fullness of life? What is what we're made for? To know God the Father, to know Jesus Christ, God the Son, through the God the Holy Spirit. That's life. That's eternal life. The good news is we don't have to wait to die to have eternal life. The moment you're born again by the Spirit, you have eternal life. And you say, well, it doesn't really feel much like eternal life. It doesn't feel that great. It doesn't feel like the fulfillment I was expecting. Well, then here's this. If you want to grow in eternal life, get to know God better. Seek Him because that's eternal life. That's fullness of life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then what happens is we submit to the Holy Spirit. We're gonna get to know God better. And there's a fullness of life that comes out of that. Verse nine, it says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. So, so David needs the Lord and he begs the Lord to be near him. David is saying, I can't do this by myself. 
I need you. I need you with me. Now, for a stark contrast of this, of kind of begging God to stay, I want to remind you of something from the gospel. So would you turn to Matthew chapter 8 for just a moment? Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to look at a, a, familiar, uh, a familiar story. And we see this. Um, Mark also records this story and Luke does as well. So Matthew chapter 8, but each of them kind of has a little bit different angle on it. Matthew chapter 8, I want to look at verses 28 through 34. Starting in verse 28, it said, When they come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, or Gadarenes, depending on your translation, it says, There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment, torment us before the time? Okay, so these a couple of demon-possessed guys. They come out to, to confront Jesus, and the demons speak through these men and say, We know who you are, and have you come to torment us before the time? They realize that their time of torment is coming, and they're wondering, is, is, it, is this going to be the time? Now it says, now a good way off from there, there was a herd of many swine feeding. Hmm, weird. Swine in Israel. Uh, that's not allowed under the law. So we have some people in this region who are kind of doing some shady dealings, who are doing some things. They're not really focusing after God. Now, verse 31. So the demons begged him, begged Jesus, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. Strange request. Verse 32, and they said to them, go. So they, when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Okay, so this is a wild situation. You can read about it in Matthew and in Luke. Um, their, their gospels, they only mention the one guy who's demon-possessed. And if you're familiar, Jesus asked, what's your name? And they say, legion, for we are many. Right? So these men were possessed by many demons. And so Jesus cast these demons out into these pigs that was illegal for Israelites to have, and then these pigs perish. Now, it's also important to understand these demon-possessed guys were just, they were a mess. It tells us in the other Gospels that they try to chain these guys and they could break the chains and the power of these demons. That they would, they would cut themselves with stones. They were in a horrible situation. And Jesus delivers them. But notice how the people respond, verse 33. Then those who kept them fled and went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So there was uh, guys around there, perhaps the, the guys that were in charge of the, of the swine, we're not exactly sure, but they go into town and tell everybody what Jesus has done. So please keep this in mind. Yes, some swine that it was not legal to have have perished. Okay, two men who were torment, tormented the area, were tormented by demons, have now been set free, have been given their lives back. But look how the people respond in verse 34. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. That is a radical situation. Jesus has demonstrated his love and power here, but because they lost out on their pigs, they want him gone. They want Jesus out. And that's a danger. And that's really, that's really the heart of, of this fallen world. Get Jesus out. He's messing up things. He's not letting me do what I want. He just doesn't say everything's okay. Get him out. And that can even be our hearts. So instead of having the heart of these guys, let's have the heart of J David and say, Lord, I want you near. I want to be with you at all times. And so the application for us is, are we begging the Lord Jesus to stay or to go? Or, more, or are we ignoring him altogether? The good thing is, let's go ahead and be beggars and beg him to be near us. Beg him to have relationship with us. Now, continue on as we go back to Psalm 27. Let's move into verse 10. Verse 10 says, When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. And so even if our closest family members reject us, children or parents or spouses or whoever it may be, the Lord's not going to leave us nor forsake us. And so it's a beautiful picture there that, that no matter what, the Lord will take care of me. And, and so I want to remind you of a verse or a couple of few verses. I'll read it for you. Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 16. So Paul says to believers, he says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We've been adopted. You know, I, I talk about them from time to time, but, but the two, my two dogs that we've adopted, they're not my favorite. <laughs> they, they're kind of troublesome. They don't have a lot of winsome characteristics, but because I've adopted them, okay, then I take care of them, right? Even though they're not my favorite, I make sure they're fed. I make sure they have water, make sure they have shelter, make sure they have all those things. And so I'm just a fallen person who isn't too fond of them. But God has adopted us into his family. So what's his adoption look like? What kind of adoption does he do? He gives us his spirit. He allows us to call him father. He calls us sons and daughters. And so it's a beautiful picture that no matter who might forsake us in this world, we can never be forsaken by the Lord who's adopted us. Verse 11 He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. So he says, teach me your way. And so David wanted to follow God's way. He says, teach me your way. And then this reminds us of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as I look at this smooth path there for someone who just like wants everything to be comfortable and easy, I was like, yes, all right, smooth path. And then I realized it doesn't just mean smooth. It really means level or even or stable and secure. Level, even, stable, secure. The idea is uh, give me a path that I won't slip on. It doesn't mean give me an easy path. It doesn't mean, hey, just let it be easy. What it means is let it be a place where I have sure footing. That's what he's saying. And so because he has enemies because of my enemies. So every servant of God will have enemies. Now, we're running short on time, so I don't have time to turn there. But you can take note of it if you like. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And it's, Paul's talking about spiritual warfare and the armor of the believer, the armor of God. So I would encourage you to read back and pray through those verses just to remind yourself of, yes, okay, it's not a weird thing that I'm in a spiritual battle. This is just how it is for the believer. All right, verse 12, he says, Do not deliver me to the will of the, my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Okay, so again, David is praying for deliverance because he has troubles, he has difficulties, he has enemies and people lying against him and all of those things. And we look at this, and if you're anything like me, whenever this happens, when people come against you, you're kind of like, oh, I can't believe it right? But think about this. Whenever Jesus and a person disagree, Jesus is always the wronged party. Think about that. So for you and I, if God is going to make us more and more like Christ, if we're going to experience what Christ experienced, then is it going to be a surprise that often we're going to be the wronged party? It shouldn't be a surprise that we're going to be treated poorly. The more that you're like Christ, then oftentimes you're going to be the wronged party. Jesus is always the wronged party. And so for us, let's, let's not be surprised. Let's just say, okay, this is, this is how it is, but I'm going to pray and ask God to help me in the midst of this, whatever it might be. Verse 13, then he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, I, I, you know, some people kind of have a, some different outlandish things here about this verse. And, and I just want to say really simply what I believe this verse means is that David is saying, unless I see God working in this world, then, then I would have just totally lost heart. And that's true, right? Though we don't see the fullness of what God is doing, we need to see him working. Right? We need to see him speaking to us through the scriptures or we need to see him changing lives. And, and that doesn't mean that everything is going to go the way that we want it to go, but it means we just, we need to see it. And I would argue that, that God's doing a lot more that we could see if we were looking for it. And so it's up to you and I to be looking for it and to, to be open to it and to, to slow down and to see, huh, I wonder what God's doing in this situation. Would you, would you reveal to me what you're doing, Lord? And, and so what I take from verse 13 is that we should expect God to work. Now, we shouldn't expect God to work according to how we want things done, right? And like, I hear, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I emailed you this morning, Lord, of kind of your to-do list of the things I need you to get done. That's not what I'm saying, but it's like to trust. Because if we never see God working, we will lose hearts. 
right? But God is working. God is moving. God is changing. And so, so Jesus tells us this is true. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they're working. They're working, they're doing, they're moving, they're changing, they're bringing things together. So, so I would encourage you and encourage me to read the scriptures with an eye to God's work and how God's moving in this land. It's, because if we don't believe that God is working here on earth, then we're no better than deists. A deist is a person who says, well, God created everything, but he kind of just left it to be and he's kind of hanging out somewhere behind Saturn. Right? That's a deist. But no, for us, we're not deists, we're theists. We believe the God of the Bible is at, is at work. He's arranging things. He's working all things together for the good. Verse 14, last verse, he says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We, whoever said waiting is the hardest part, they were right. <laughs> right? I, I don't know if you're, again, like anything like me, but I would rather drive further and be moving then drive, you know, fewer miles and sit in traffic. Because I'm moving, I'm doing something. I don't want to wait. But then what we have here is waiting. Now this word wait here in verse 14, it means to wait in faith. Okay, it doesn't mean to be passive. It means to wait in faith, to look for, to hope or accept. I'm sorry, expect. So I, I like the imagery that I heard or I, I read this week in a devotional. It talked about a running back. You know, as a running back in football, he you know, goes to the hole and he's waiting for the hole to, to open up. So he's waiting for his moment, but he's not passive. He's, he's waiting for things to open up and then go through the hole or chopping his feet, waiting for that. And so it's important for us to, to wait expectantly, to, to wait in hope, to trust I love 1 Corinthians 1, 7 says, eagerly waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're eagerly waiting for Jesus to take his rightful place on this earth. And then we're told as we're waiting to be of good courage. In other words, God will encourage you as you wait on him. As you and I wait on the Lord, as hard as it is, as stressful as it can be, God will build courage. And you know what? Anything to, that's, that's built well takes time. And so God is going to take some time. And it says, he shall strengthen your heart. God will strengthen your heart as you wait on him. This reminded me of James 1, verses 2 through 4, where James says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then the last part of verse 14, what does he say? Wait, I say, on the Lord. So keep waiting on the Lord, knowing that it will be worth it. Now, as we close, just going to ask us to examine ourselves, you know, what do we really, really want? And we're so self-deceived that we may say we want one thing, but it really may be another. So really ask the Lord. Spend some time and say, Lord, show me what I really, really want. And whatever is, is idolatrous, would you remove it from me? And then I'll just close by going back and reading verse four one more time. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple.